Rock.News. I'm Randall James. And I'm Redacted. With me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Beep. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so on the news today, we're going to talk about the D&D Errata 3.0 that came out in the middle of December. Random, what, what the heck happened? There is a much longer conversation here to be had about the move towards more political correctness, which I know has a lot of baggage associated with that phrase, but really just the concept that not all X are Y, even if most X are Y. That is a conversation that we will have later. Probably a few episodes from now should come out, hopefully sometime in January, as long as we're able to slot it where I think. What we're going to talk about today is just how Watsy handled this, because Boy, it wasn't good. Yeah, I agree entirely. So they made some changes to some source books, most notably to Volo's Guide to Monsters, which has the internet very much up in arms. And the way that the messaging around these changes happened made things way, way worse than they needed to be. And I know this never works, but to all of the people out there who are upset about these changes, I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath and calm down while we talk about this. Yeah, uh, it's probably not as bad as you think. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, even highlighting the sequence of events, uh, so I'll, I'll call this out, and then you tell me, like, hop in with corrections as we go, right? Uh, the errata drops. Uh, folks read the announcement. They go and they read. In the errata, the way that it's posted is, here's the new content, here's the new content. So first of all, you actually have to go hunt for what's cut, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I think. And then the initial inclination is that everything you see that's changing is removing alignment. It's, you know, so, uh, you know, mind, mind players are no longer chaotic evil or lawful evil. I forget which, you know, the, the drow are no longer murderous. And, and you're like, oh, you're taking my flavor. What are you doing? And then I, I think what was lost in that is that if you actually went and looked, not all the flavors left was taken out because in other parts of the book that were untouched, the flavor is still there. And then two, yeah, I guess later on there was a redaction step or not a redaction, but a, like a softening of like, Oh wait, Hey, we were just, yes. Yeah. So the initial errata went out and then within a day or two, I believe, um, uh, our winninger, Gosh, what's his first name? Uh, Mr. Winninger, the the head of Dungeons and Dragons, and man, I want his job title. Uh, he he tweeted an update to the the design blog article, which announced the errata with a like full page long letter explaining what the intent was behind the changes and clarifying exactly what was changing. The root of the problem and the root of the negative response to this is the errata PDFs for the Volos, for Volos Guide to Monsters, said that certain sections of the book were just being removed. So specifically the role-playing a whatever section. So role-playing a kobold, role-playing a UNT. Like the PDFs just said this section is removed, full stop. And for most for most of the creatures in the book, that's like the heading, one paragraph, and then some tables with, with example personality traits, bonds, flaws. So even if that's actually what they were doing and just removing those tables and those single paragraphs of text, honestly, it's not that big a deal. Like the entire sections detailing what these creatures are like as a whole, still there. 
here's where I will come in with uh, both a bit of a different opinion and also the thing that people seem to be most up in arms about. There are, of course, two main ways for you to access Volos. You can either own a physical copy or you can own a digital edition that you have through D&D Beyond. Now, if you have the printed copy, they can print all the errata they want, and all that's going to do is add content for you. Because, you know, you can go look up the errata 3.0, and you can see that the stuff that they eventually added back in is there. You know, they replaced X paragraph with X text. Great. However, the biggest problem that I saw people who were not just arguing for the sake of argument, and my biggest problem with it, is that if you own the digital edition through D&D Beyond, they made these changes to your digital edition and offered no explanation as to why they were going to do that or if they were going to compensate you. The answer is, of course, no. And so you no longer have the book that you purchased, whereas people with the the physical copy have not only the book that they purchased, but also this extra content they've written. And... In particular, this this fact that they are changing something that you have purchased money for that is, you know, it's, while I understand that if you want to dig into how D&D Beyond puts its stuff up, it is almost certainly, technically speaking, a license because that's how everything works in this day and age, that's still a, a real unsatisfying argument to, but I bought a book and you rewrote it after I bought it. Yeah, I mean, just to, like, to, to echo that, in getting prepared to do this show, I started pulling old and new excerpts from the player's handbook because I own a physical copy. And then I went to look at Volo because I think Volo had a lot of what folks were interested in. And I literally couldn't find the old version of the content to form an opinion about the changes that were made. And, and I'm just going to cut in real quick uh, because the internet is occasionally full of heroes and, uh, as well as um, the vast majority of other stuff it's full of. Uh, <laughs> and... So um, there is a post, uh, which we will link in the show notes, uh, where on Reddit, I am so bad at finding usernames here, but tiny little text says, Greeny3x3x3 took all of the text that was removed and just slapped it in a Reddit post. So it will be there forever. It will be in the show notes for this episode. You'll be able to find it. You can just copy it down. But, I mean, one of the things that's staggering when I found this post, and this post was actually how I found out that this change had happened, this is, like, two pages of text that before they talked about, um, you know, that they were going to put stuff back in for, that was a lot of text that was just gone from the thing that you bought. So, anyway, that is there. Yeah. We we will have a, a link in the show notes if you want to follow up on this later uh, I will say you sure jinx that saying it's going to be there forever because we're going to find it. And it's just going to say deleted, deleted. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely put a, we'll put a link in the show notes. And so hopefully that'll be there. If not, perhaps you'll be able to find it uh, on, on the Wayback machine. Yeah. Does it make sense to actually get into some of the content that was changed? I think that's a good idea. Okay. In the player's handbook, I, I think maybe there might be two areas we want to focus I think there's a lot of good stuff we're talking about just in the changes in the player's handbook, uh, and then maybe we step into some of the other source material. Sounds good? Yeah. All right. 
so one thing is basically alignment. Removing alignment and I think most culture entries from all of the race guides. Uh, so I want to give an example. Again, if you go to every single race, there is a section called alignment, and that has been removed. If I understand the intent of that correctly, they're basically saying, you know, yeah, let's actually, let me do this. I'm going to read the halfling alignment, and then we'll talk it through. Uh, halfling alignment. Most halflings are lawful good. As a rule, they are good-hearted and kind, hate to see others in pain, and have no tolerance for oppression. They are also very orderly and traditional, leaning heavily on the support of their community and the comfort of their old ways. There's a ton of role-playing guidance hidden in that, right? Uh, you're, you're lawful, you are kind-hearted, uh, you don't want to see other things in pain. And so even if you're a monk, a fighter, something like this, the fact that you do have to, to inflict pain occasionally, uh, even on you know neutral, like, eh, okay, this is kind of a money area, that might be a role-playing guide. Like, you might be the person who's like, hey, team, what if we weren't murder hobos this week? I, I feel like there's a lot of strong guidance. My understanding of the intent of this is basically to say, like, but you don't have to play your halfling that way if you don't want to. To which I respond, I, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, that that seems to be the collective response to these changes. The people who've been playing D&D a long time, who are active in discussion communities, understand, yeah, like all of this setting material, all of the like description of personality and culture and stuff, that's all optional and you're free to change that. I think Wizards is trying really hard to make to make that idea accessible for new players. So if you come into the game and say, I want to play an evil halfling, and then you look at the alignment and says, oh, as a rule, they don't like hurting people. Like, because it does specifically use the phrase as a rule. And I can understand wanting to move away from saying like all halflings are X but I, I do agree. Like, they could have just changed that. Like, instead of saying, as a rule, they could have just said, many halflings are like X. Like, they could have very easily just changed the wording of those paragraphs to make it clear that this is a suggestion, not a mandate. Well, and, and in fact, in the alignment section later in the player's handbook, where they gave you, like, lawful good, here's some examples. Lawful evil, here's some examples. Uh, literally what they did half the time is they just changed the language from, you know, all celestials are lawful good to typically celestials are lawful good boom there's a change and i feel like you know just typically comma fix nothing else yeah <laughs> yep when we get to the, the full episode about this we're gonna have a long chat about celestials <laughs> you've both really said it really concisely like that there was so little point to what they did in the ham-handed way that they did it when it could have been fixed by just a usually or even preface any of this content with just a paragraph that says these are guidelines don't take them as written in stone and then you have to make one sentence addition to your whole book <laughs> yeah also the removal of alignment from racial traits means if you look in the player's handbook alignment is only addressed in I think chapter five, like the character description section where it explains the different alignments, which means uh, chapter four. Thank you. In, in the entirety of the player's handbook alignment is explained on like two pages in total, not, not even explained, explained 
referenced, discussed. So now this this iconic, like has existed since early days of D&D system that is used to broadly define a creature's philosophical outlook is basically hidden away in a section of the book that people will probably read once and then never again. So when you're looking at monster, like you come into the game, alignment is discussed on these two pages that you might very easily miss during character creation. You crack open the monster manual and say, see, ah, this monster is lawful neutral. What is that? This is probably the start of them transitioning to whatever 5.5 is going to be. I, I expect that we will just see a complete removal of alignment at that point um, and, and more of a transition to just, you know, Bond's flaws ideals. But that's sort of a problem because, A, it's still there now, and, B, even some of those tables for, like, Bond's, I think, have alignment options, and, and that's a, a good place to start. I want to. I feel like there's a little bit of evidence that might challenge that, and I think it's maybe worth talking through. Uh, so Tyler brought up the alignment section in the player's handbook. It's in chapter four, specifically. It's on page one, uh, one twenty-two. Uh, there's a, a thing here that I thought was cool that I want to call out that doesn't challenge that, but then we'll roll back. It'll be great. Under the section alignment in the multiverse and multiverse, ding ding ding. I feel like this is something that they definitely want to come at us with. A, a change that was made. The old language was. A devil does not choose to be lawful evil, and it doesn't tend toward lawful evil, but rather it is lawful evil in its essence. If it somehow ceased to be lawful evil, it would cease to be a devil. Okay, the change, the, 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 the new language is actually not that drastically different than that. So let's hear. A devil does not choose to be lawful evil or tend toward lawful evil, but rather it is lawful evil in its essence. If it somehow ceases to be lawful evil, it changes into something new, a transformation worthy of legend. And we do actually have one canonical example, at least, in D&D lore that has been printed in 5th edition. Um, Descent into Avernus, the character on the cover of the, the adventure is a celestial that got a little too involved in the blood war and became a fiend by changing alignment. So, like... It, it does canonically happen that that creatures that are like outsiders, devils, celestials, etc., can change alignment. But when that happens, it's generally a big deal. And, and it's exceptional, quite literally. Yeah. I, and, and so in this case, they, they left in that language of lawful evil and even still being explicit that like uh, a devil it is lawful evil. That is part of what being a devil uh, devil means. But the the idea that, like, we will let in out, you know, we're not going to say that you would cease to be a devil. We're also going to say that it does become something else uh, and that that is, in fact, something interesting. And I think that's even enticing. Like, if I'm a DM and I'm reading that, I'm like, what else could I do? You know, what legends can I create? Yeah, and I, I think this specific case is a good example of how they could have handled the racial alignment stuff better. Like... They clearly understand that they can start from the existing text and add flexibility to that without completely removing the text. So deleting the alignment entries from the races is disappointing. Um, and random, you suggested that in five five we might completely or they might completely remove alignment. It might just go away. I honestly, I give that fifty fifty odds. I really have no idea. 
They tried removing alignment from stat blocks in a couple of adventures, and people complained about it, so they brought it back. But that's also when we started getting the usually whatever alignment. So it's possible that they'll stick to the usually uh, like prefix on all alignments, but I, I honestly don't know. Actually, I want to give one more example of this, and then I want to make an argument. Like you say 50-50, I say I'm 90% confident alignment's going to survive. Um, so in the drow section under the elf race, I'm, I'm maybe just going to read this first paragraph. And, yeah, okay. Uh, the darkness of the drow. Or, and this is the old, to be clear, on page 24 of the player's handbook. Were it not for one renowned exception, the race of drow would be universally reviled. To most, they are a race of demon-worshipping marauders, dwelling in the subterranean depths of the Underdark, emerging only on the blackest nights to pillage and slaughter the surface dwellers they despise. Their society is depraved and preoccupied with the favor of Loth, their spider goddess, who sanctions murder and the extermination of entire families as noble houses vie for position. That's, that's a harsh thing, <laughs> right? Like that's, yep. Okay. In the new, there's a bit of this language, and then let's let maybe talk about what it means, right? The new says, the cult of the god Loth, queen of spiders, has corrupted some of the oldest drow cities, especially in the worlds of Orth and Toril. Eberron, Crane, and other realms have escaped the cult's influence, for now. Wherever the cult lurks, drow heroes stand on the front lines in the war against it, seeking to sunder Loth's web. So it's, again, it's basically going back to typically, it's embracing the idea of the multiverse uh, and saying that, well, in these worlds, it's this way, and in these other worlds, it's this other way. But there's always these examples of heroes. And so if you want to play the the evil, you can play the evil character. If you want to play the mighty hero who wants to strike down Loth on behalf of all the drow, you can play that too. Yeah, but God help you if you dual-wield scimitars and get a black cat. Just saying. Everyone accidentally builds that character once. Everyone does it. I have I have met so many new players who've come in and been like, I want to build a ranger. I want to use two weapons. Scimitars seem like a good choice, and I want to have a beast companion. And panthers seem cool. And it that's just like that is in the like cultural zeitgeist inescapably, and people don't even know where it comes from. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> And, and and to to be clear, where it comes from is the one exception mentioned in the old D and D text from uh, a very popular series of books a while back, which we will link in the show notes. Uh, his name is Drizzt or Drizzt, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But <laughs> it's too many consonants, and yet not carry on. Yeah, the, the, the paragraph that I didn't read, the first sentence, Yet one drow at least broke the mold. In the world of Forgotten Realms, Driss Doerden, Ranger of the North, has proven his quality as a good-hearted defender of the weak and the innocent. Yeah. Yep. Uh, good old Drist. Uh, <laughs> good old Drist. Yeah. And, and so I, I feel like this is a good example where, like, they're not, I feel like they're not actually throwing it out, but they're saying, in the multiverse, we reserve the right to have this race typically go this way but in this other space we're going to say they typically go some other way and then you as an individual have the right to choose as well they're really leaning into the idea that the core rule books are not tied to one specific setting which for the first couple of years of fifth edition's existence it was very clearly like we are only supporting forgotten realms for like three years so having the core rule books be more setting agnostic is really helpful 
removing some of those cultural indications, even potentially the alignment sections, says, like, this is the baseline for what defines a halfling, but personality and culture-wise, like, all bets are off. That is a setting detail. Now, it would have been really nice if we'd gotten some errata for the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, which is currently the only 5th edition (laughs) setting book for the Forgotten Realms. And when you say Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, most people think, I forgot that existed. Because, yeah, almost... Like, almost nobody has it. There's not a lot in it. Um, But I have my copy right here. It's, uh, you know, wood and paper and all those things. And there's sections on the races of the Forgotten Realms where they could have just stuck the alignment section right in there. Like, uh, halflings in the Forgotten Realms are typically lawful good and all of those other things we got from the player's handbook. And then they could have that same alignment entry in every other setting book. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping maybe they'll do that for the setting books we're expecting in 2022. But at this point, it seems unlikely. So, like, culture, culture, alignment, philosophy, those could be specific to a race in a setting. Removing those from the core rules kind of makes sense. I just, I mean, the way that they did this was clumsy. Well, and then finally, I will say, like, having it per setting makes sense. But then am I going to buy every setting book and I, when I sit down in a session uh, the DM says we're going to be, you know, my world is based in this setting. Now, does everybody need to go buy that setting book so that I understand what folks tend to be like? I, I would certainly hope that if a DM is going to base their campaign in a setting that they at least own the book and will be happy to share that information like, ah, yes, DM, I would like to play a halfling. And the DM says, great, here is what halflings are like in Eberron. Um, you know, because uh, like that that's <clears throat> now again that's uh, a hope for roleplay, and unfortunately, you know, maybe some DMs are not all about that, and so if your DM is not giving you that information, maybe that's a conversation you need to have. But realistically, I I think that having it in the setting-specific books is fine, as long as, you know, anyone who wants to go play in those understands that, like, yes, I should get the Eberron book, I should get the Kryn book, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, there's a, I mean, so, random. you always talk about the social fix. There's a, a really interesting conversation that everybody's going to have to have with a lot of nuance of, like, okay, look, in this particular setting, uh, Havelings are are terrible like they're just awful like they're they're short and they're mean that's what i can tell you about them and and then the the dm has to say but like but if if you want to have a good halfling you can have a good halfling there's nothing wrong with that yeah well and and again you know so both for the established settings or for your own homebrew setting always 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 playing something exceptional is immediate free story right if you are generic mchalfling then Everyone who interacts with you is going to say, ah, yeah. And and this is one of the things that I actually think um, Pathfinder 2 does really well. And if you listen to the the news episode, which I didn't think we were actually calling news yet, the first one, Guns and Gears, Pathfinder 2 talks about, like, when you, you know, like, I am a druid. And it talks about, like, what do you, you know, what do you do as a druid? You know, that's sort of that meme, like, what I do, what people think I do, what my friends think I do, what my parents think I do, what society think I does. Like, they have that section but in actual, you know, genuine utility. And so having that for your class, your your race, whatever, 
is really useful because you know if if you're going to walk in as a halfling you're going to understand okay here's the actual family traits that i you know like uh, racial traits that are common among halflings in my culture and then here's what people have stereotyped about halflings um and so being able to buck that may be a, a fun thing even if you are playing something very standard yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i do want to talk about how we actually use alignment for our player characters uh in game uh tyler i'm gonna throw you under the bus before you can throw me under the bus we're playing in a campaign together oh no uh i'd like you to speculate live on air the alignment of the other three characters in our game Boy, that's hard. Okay, so John, who is your character, uh, John the uh, Dragonblood Sorcerer, I'm going to guess, I want to say Chaotic Neutral. Okay. Pabu, our Ascendant Dragon Monk, um, I'm going to guess Matt picked something which made sense at the beginning and then forgot what it was. No offense, Matt. Um, i I'd say probably lawful good for Pabu, or maybe neutral good. Okay. Let's see. Bar- bard the Bard. Uh, I'm going to say probably also chaotic neutral. Okay. All right. Um, Do you have access to those, or was this just an exercise? I, I Okay. We're going to be real honest. I started the exercise, and then I thought, huh, it'd be really good if I actually had access to this right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> the frantic clicking. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, that clicking in the background. Having any luck finding it? Uh, well, Perhaps we can just post it in show notes at the end. I get yeah. it from your DM. <laughs> I figured Dan would do his podcast magic because uh, Dan is a magician. Uh, I think it is legitimately possible as I look at John's character sheet that I did not pick an alignment because I did not think it mattered. <laughs> and I, I guess, yeah, the point that I wanted, oh, chaotic good. You said okay. chaotic neutral for John. I did? Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Uh Actually, you might have said... Yeah, you did. Okay. I think I said chaotic neutral, yeah. You did. Yeah, okay. Um, and honestly, that's probably more honest. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I, I know as a player character, I do enjoy role-playing. I don't necessarily think about my alignment so much as I do think about, um, you know, what's the what's the kicker that we keep running around? Beliefs? Oh, uh, uh, bonds, bonds flaws, traits, ideals. flaws. Uh, yes. And all four of those are in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I I think I have that implicitly in my head, but I'm not necessarily thinking about the fact that I am a chaotic good character. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm not. That's, it's a lie. <laughs> uh, and and I wonder, like, even when I DM, I don't. I think about the role of the character in the story, and I tend to pick bosses and bad guys that fit the role so there's a correlation with the typical alignment but i don't necessarily let the alignment dictate i don't really even think about it and so i say all that to say for all of the hullabaloo that we just gave i i think the flavor and the culture text is really useful i'm actually not going to be so heartbroken if you don't give me the hint that it's a chaotic good character or a lawful good character I might be having a get-off-my-lawn moment, but if alignment goes away, I will actually miss it. I I like having that basic one-line descriptor of a creature's philosophy. I, I know people frequently just skip it for their characters, and I 
honestly sometimes i do that myself but having a monster like if you flip open your monster manual and you look at a monster for the first time and it's something big and hulking and weird looking and the alignment says lawful good you're gonna think oh okay maybe there's something more to this instead of just oh this is some monster that my players are gonna beat to death and take its shoes and and honestly one of the best examples of that werebear yeah almost without exception lycanthropes are like you will see in you know your your pop culture werewolves they just want to eat you and or make more werewolves and go where rats are also like that uh where tigers i don't know if they exist in fifth edition but they were in previous yeah and then you get to werebears who are neutral good now this is not like the base creature was neutral good and then we put the werebear template no this is while you are acting as a werebear you are neutral good so, you know, this is like once a month you spend three days going around and like aiding senior citizens across streets and picking up <laughs> trash, right? Like okay. that's that's your rampage. Now, if you didn't have that in the chart, what you would have no reason unless you read through the entire thing to go, ah yes, Werebear, this is somebody helpful. Okay. Right? And it uh, and now I'm I'm gonna try and cut most of this conversation and and post it to the, the 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 episode that we do later because like alignment i think does have value but you know as so like as to why this change matters that's why there there is value to be gained from just having an le or an ng in a chart so that i like tyler said so that i can look at it and go i've never seen an aboleth before uh Evil Undead, great, nailed it, and and then I can go from there. <laughs> okay, it's actually funny that you bring that up. So there's this idea in music, especially for guitar players or bass players, called cheat books, where somebody, you know, you're doing a solo thing out at a show, somebody comes up to you and says, can you play this song? And you know you've heard it, you don't really remember the words, but you're a pretty good guitarist. You pop open a cheat book, and it'll say, like, here's a basic strumming pattern, here's the chord progression, and you're able to go. And then it won't sound right, but... The people are drunk anyway, it doesn't matter. You just play the song and they're happy. <laughs> it it almost feels like having that, you know, chaotic evil marker is kind of the equivalent of a cheat book for a DM where it's like, oh, they're gonna try to fight this thing? Okay, monster manual. Okay, here I got it. We're ready to party. Exactly. No. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks folks for joining us on this edition of the RPGbot.news. I think the summary is uh, it's gonna be all right. Everything's fine. We're going to keep going. There's new content coming. That's going to be great. Everything's okay. Yeah. Join us next time. Okay. The thing that I wanted to sneak in there, but then I didn't because I realized, like, uh, yeah, first of all, I didn't want to cut off random. Uh, when you were talking about the werebear being Canada good, it's like, okay. So, like, all werebears are just Winnie the Pooh, like, you know, running around with their jar, with their head stuck in honey jars. Because that's, that's, he is the... That's chaotic good, right, Winnie the Pooh? Well, they're actually yeah. neutral good. Um, yeah. Neutral um, good, okay. And Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh is absolutely, yeah, I mean, I would definitely call him... Honestly, I mean, I'd, I'd probably... Yeah, no, he's definitely chaotic good, but also <laughs> dumb. Dumb yeah. as rocks. And werebears are not dumb. Not uh, necessarily. Okay. Pure of heart and dumb of well, ass. <laughs> <laughs>